Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux and joined by Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? It's going well, Serge. It's going well. What a great guest we have coming on today. Again, right? Right? Again, again. So she agreed to come back. Yay! We were so excited last time when we spoke. So please welcome Angela Hood, who is the founder and CEO of This Way Global. Angela, thank you for coming back on the show. I am so glad you invited me. I can't wait to do it. It was very fun last time, and uh, we have some very cool things to share. Yeah, we sure do. So our audience has grown significantly since you were on last time. We've got a lot of new folks that may not be listening to the back catalog. So can you just refresh for the audience? What is This Way Global? Is it a travel agency? <laughs> you would think that, right? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it is not. There's actually a whole what story. Is it? Why the name is This Way, I will tell you what it is. Okay, please do. Uh, Yes. So this way was named that because my team who was at Cambridge with me, who very eloquently stated that it should be about a journey in your career. It should not be about finding a job or a person. Like that's how they thought of it. And they said, that's what was broken. We're actually doing some rebranding that's around vintage travel posters. And so uh, we're embracing it, but that's the reason why the company is called This Way Global. We source and match all people to all jobs without bias. And the reason why we say all to all is because we work across every sector. We work at entry level hourly, all the way up to C-suite, doesn't matter what type of job. That's the great thing about technology is it can do all of these things really, really well. But we stay very, very narrowly focused up at the top of the funnel and we work for companies across the globe. Angela, I'm trying to listen to this explanation from Virgin Ears. And so I'm thinking, oh, well, does that mean you're a staffing company? Mm, Does that mean company? Mm. Yeah. So we're a technology company. We sit inside other applicant tracking systems, CRMs, things like that. We also have our own interface that companies can use. That's very helpful when people are evaluating our technology. We let them do that and they can figure out, oh, okay, this really works for me. It also really creates a tighter bond with our customers You know, before we get started. We have about 5,500 company customers that are on our platform as of today. I'm probably off and my team will get mad at me. I think we have maybe 800 more, but I don't know exactly the right number. And the big point of our technology is it pulls bias out of the process. So it debiases resumes, it debiases job descriptions, it makes the match. And when the recruiters and hiring managers are seeing the candidates, they don't know things like what they look like, their age, uh, Mm -hmm. their gender, their ethnicity. So they're making clear view based off skills and based off the person's experience. And I will say this, the way I feel the strongest about our tech and the fact that it works is because recruiters will call me, hiring managers will call us and candidates will call us and say, you're actually making a difference in our business and as a person. And to me, that's incredibly rewarding. That's always a really good story, right? If you're getting those types of messages. I'm curious to see because there is competitor products and some handle it differently. But one of the things that a lot of tech owners or especially in HR tech space 
they don't really share what the pricing model is. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'd really like to get an understanding if I'm a customer joining, how do you price? What's your pricing model? Yeah. So we base it around the value metric of job volume. A small company can have a high job volume, depending on what type of business they're in, seasonality, things like that. Flip side is you could have a huge company that has a small job volume. So we just base it on jobs. And what our technology does is it looks historically at people that applied to your jobs previously that maybe were overlooked or you didn't have an opening for them looks at them. It looks at our passive candidates that come from our massive partnership network. And then it can actively go out and attract people to apply for your jobs as well. So it does the full suite. And we have uh, a startup package that we work with smaller SMBs and startups on. Most of our companies are at the $8,000 a year on a contract basis. And our average contract value is around $35,000 a year. And we have some customers, quite a few that are, you know, well in excess of half a million dollar contracts. Uh, It just depends on, you know, the size of job volume that they have. So the last time we met, you had just joined the Google Accelerator Startup Program, but now you have some new partnerships, a couple that we're going to talk about today, but give us some news. Yeah. So... First, let me tell you, the Google acceleration was absolutely incredible. And I had failed as a CEO, and I hate to admit that, but I had failed to implement OKRs, which is objective key results. I tried to do it a couple of times, and I just was like, this doesn't work for us. Well, it was because I wasn't doing it correctly. (laughs) So Google owns this. They're the ones that made it uh, famous. So they taught us how to do it. We implemented it in the company. We all bought in. And This caused us to refocus our efforts on something that we had been working on for many, many years. And that was a partnership with one of the um, most well thought of organizations in the world, which is IBM, more specifically IBM Watson. Yesterday, I was able to announce publicly that we're in the partnership with IBM Watson. I was on Bloomberg for 10 minutes, uh, which I have to tell you is a bit surreal and uh, was able to talk about what we're doing and how we're going to put technology in the hands of HR teams that they have never, ever had before. In fact, I don't know companies that have access to this. HR teams got prioritized, and I will just have to say it's about time. Well, congratulations, Angela. That is amazing. Tell me what it felt like to be on Bloomberg. It really was surreal. That's the best way. I'm like standing there looking at myself on TV at one point going, what is happening right now? But the Bloomberg team was incredibly professional about how they get you ready and how they produce the piece. And I was on there with the head of IBM Watson, Dinesh Normal, and he is just a brilliant individual. And to be able to be interviewed with him and talk about what we're doing together, it's just a moment as a founder of a company that you kind of dream about, you know, and I got to experience it yesterday. So tell us more about the partnership. I, I want to know what that looks like for potential consumers or customers of yours. Yeah. So it's built very specifically for companies, but they're starting with the HR parts of companies. And the reason why is because it is the biggest problem that businesses face right now. 
And we had been talking to them off and on for years about how we could possibly work together. We had been building our tech. They have been building this incredible system called Orchestrate. And it really is, I hope everyone has seen Iron Man. Otherwise, this is not going to make a lot of sense. But if you haven't seen Iron Man, you need to go see. All right. So Iron Man has a technology buddy named Jarvis that does a lot of work for him. It really creates him into being a superhero. And that's how we modeled our thinking of let's make the HR professional a superhero, because right now they are being asked to do superhero feats. And I don't think that they've ever really been given the credit and respect that they deserve. I think that's changed. And so now for us to be able to give them the technology that will be able to help them, and it's really going to be focused on doing things that are more mundane, but it can do work for you. Like while you're asleep or while you're at your kid's soccer game, or you can still go to the party that you wanted to go to because the technology is going to be doing work on your behalf. I think it's perfect timing, right? Because what we're seeing is a lot of burnt out HR and talent acquisition folks across the board, because since the pandemic and even before the pandemic, Uh, a lot more was being asked of them. And I think a lot of organizations realize how important HR is to the actual running of their business. It's going to be interesting to see what you guys can do to help relieve some of that pressure. Anything particular that you think is going to be a massive use case that a lot of HR folks are going to be like, wow. So can you imagine if you could just say to your computer, can you please go find the top 20 applicants that we've had for this job in the last year and a half, make sure you send them this email and see if they're interested in having conversation. If they are, book them and then give me an update today and let me know how we're doing. Right. And then I I don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm off doing the other things, which people want to be talking to people when they're in the HR space, typically. So Don't we want them to be talking to people and not sitting over here trying to figure out how to send out emails to 20 different people? It's not a great use of a very skilled person. The other way that we really see it being incredibly helpful is when someone is new to a team and they don't know how to use a system because they used to be on a different ATS and now they've just joined. Yeah the um, technology will be able to do some of these things for them. They won't have to learn everything day one. And we will be able to take a more entry-level person and give them skill sets, give them more advanced level skills, and they'll be able to spin up faster. I think this is even more important in an environment where so many of us are working remotely and want to stay remote. If you want to stay remote and you want your team to be able to stay remote, I think it's imperative that we all have to take a little bit of ownership and say, okay, well, let technology help us do that. Mm -hmm. That's music to my ears, Angela. Like, honest to God, I'm so tired of people saying, oh, no, we've all got to get back to the office. Like, there'll be no more innovation. How will we train people? How will we mentor people? So this is absolutely so exciting. Like, it's hard to believe it's really here. And that is the thing about it, right? <laughs> That's the deal. But IBM has been working on it for a very long time. I know they have. Yeah. Massive technology teams working on this. They have committed to a invitation only rollout towards the end of June of this year. If people want to engage with us, we can put you in to be evaluated for an early release. So you mm-hmm. can be part of the beta testing. I will tell you, it's absolutely incredible. 
a lot of companies can look at a company like IBM and say, you know, they could become a dinosaur, you know, but guess what? They said, that's not what's going to happen to us. And they doubled down on creating technology that we, I think is a civilization really need to recover effectively from the pandemic. So the timing of all of this is incredible. And I just love the fact that we get to be part of it. We're in the HR side and we are bringing on partners. So if companies want to come in that participate anywhere in the HR space, it doesn't have to be talent acquisition. It can be in payroll and learning environments, but they can definitely reach out to us and we would love to share with them how they can become part of the partnership. Mm -hmm. So another partnership or initiative that I found super interesting was with CHC. Can you talk about that? Yes. So I absolutely love that we got to announce this week. It was something I've been working on with a childhood friend of mine. Her name is Shelly Douglas. She is uh, one of the executives at CHC. And in 2017, we had our first conversation about it. And we were both working towards making people have better lives. I was doing it from a jobs perspective. She's doing it from a health perspective. And one thing that she really educated me about, and so did CHC, is that a big part of health is being able to have steady, dependable work because it just covers a lot of things that cause stress. You know, you can have healthcare, you can afford food and shelter and all those things. And I I don't think I'd really thought of work, how closely that's tied to health, but they really gave me the insight on that. And we started building a partnership for years, obviously since 2017. And only this week did we finally get to a point where we can now announce a large part of our partners, about 1,700 of them now, we will slowly bring on more. But the incredible thing is all of these organizations have people that have the talent that our customers and employers need. And a lot of them are looking for jobs. 73% of the people that are sitting in your business right now are willing to switch jobs if the right job comes their way. And I've never seen it like this. I've never in a decade, I mean, I haven't been doing this for 30 years, but in the last decade, I've not seen numbers that even approach that. But it's a moment for employers to really seize incredible talent, but it's also a moment that I think employers need to pay attention to how they're treating their people because otherwise those people will leave. Yeah, it's either the great resonation or the great opportunity for a lot of organizations to approach it the right way. Go down a little bit more into the logistics of how this works. So CHC has all these organizations and all the people that are part of each individual organization. It could be a nonprofit. It could be a university, alumni group, all kinds of different entities in there. On the flip side, you have employers that are looking for people. And a lot of times they're trying to increase their diversity because they realize that the market is requiring them to do that and their workforce is requiring them to do that. And we bring in 5,000 organizations, we bring them in and all of the people underneath them and say, hey, let's match you to these jobs. So I'm going to give you a great example. There was another company that is part of the Google Accelerator called AquaCycle. I highly recommend you look up what they do. It's absolutely incredible. And I will not do it the disservice of trying to describe it, but they use wastewater to create energy. Let's say you have a soft drink that's being manufactured. When they're cleaning it, processing it, they actually create 
electricity so that it's carbon neutral or carbon negative. It's absolutely incredible that they've figured this out. We get their jobs and we're like, okay, so how can we tap into CHC's network? Well, there's 11 water-focused organizations that are in the CHC network. All of these people have been doing missionary work. They've been doing development work in third world nations. They are passionate about what they do. They come back to the U.S. and they have two things. They have a weird resume and they have an employment gap. And so guess what? A lot of employers don't look at them. But they're also some of the most incredible engineers. When we match them to the jobs, AquaCycle gets incredibly qualified people, a person who's really passionate about water and the importance it has in our environment is now working for a company here in the US. It is a win-win. And the quality of people that you get in are so much better if you're going through a job board. Interesting strategy. I, I talked to a lot of HR leaders asking them how important is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And everyone agrees we have internal plans. But the question I'll ask is, what's your outbound strategy? And no one ever has one. Would you say this fits perfectly in an outbound strategy as far as acquiring that type of talent? Yeah, outbound is hard. And that's why people don't do it. But outbound is also what you can control. Yeah, And I think that's the part that people need to understand. So we prove to them that we have the people that they need by showing them inside our system. We're like, here's the people. We don't show them their names. We don't show pictures. We were like, here is who you need. And then they're like, oh, yes, please can we start working? So I think that was the big thing. We needed to get enough network built up. We needed to get enough viability inside our technology. And we have about half a million jobs that are pushing through the system on a daily basis. So we have enough visibility on what's going on and what's needed that we're able to tap into the right networks. And when someone comes in, as jobs that we don't have people sitting there for, uh, we have this incredible network that we can go and pull them into specifically for their pipeline need. Angela, I really want to dig into what the labor market is right now. You, you did talk, you've never seen this in 10 years, and I've never seen it in 20. And Shelly, you haven't seen this type of labor market in a long time. A lot of people talk ever. about ever, right? <laughs> no, we, it's true. The, only, the closest thing, I was front lines in uh, Y2K. Even then, that wasn't even close. So there's a lot of data that's going through this way, global, through all your partnerships, your customers. And I'm really curious to see what you're seeing is different than what a lot of uh, the so-called experts are saying as far as a massive difference in supply and demand. What's your take on it, Angela? Yeah, it's nuts. And that's why I said we've got to be able to help these HR teams more effectively. This is unparalleled. First, when you have over 70% of the people that are sitting in their job that would just walk if they found the job that they want. And they won't think anything about it. They'll just leave. And we have employers who say that people that are even in senior level positions will leave for lunch and then they just don't come back. They do an exit interview and the exit interview is revealing a lot of people don't want to be back in the office, to your point. They just don't want to be back and they've been forced to come back in and they're like, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. So I'm just going to go do my own thing. We're seeing an incredible high number of entrepreneurs or people that are doing like a part-time job for someone and they're augmenting their um, salary by doing a gig type job. 
And they're finding that they like the balance better. And in some cases, they're making more money. Why go back to something that you don't want to do? I think the other thing that has been the most surprising is the amount of people that will go all the way through the process. So they will do the HR paperwork. They will select medical benefits. They'll do all of that. And then they just don't ever show up. And a lot of people think this is hourly entry level people. No, no, no. This is everyone. People are just, I think, frustrated at a different level than maybe we've ever seen, or maybe they feel empowered enough. They had to figure it out for two years. Sometimes we don't understand how many people change their living situation. They might have sold their house at the top of the market, moved into a smaller house. They might have had two families that moved in together, two different generations that moved in together, but they've changed their financial structure and they are now empowered to make choices about who they work for and what they do. And one of the biggest reasons why I encourage people to think more openly about diversity, our workforce is more diverse and we're still human. We still like to work with people that look like us. You want to think of it like that way, Mm -hmm. but looking like us means more diverse. And so when you don't hire people that are more diverse, you're signaling to the rest of your workforce. You don't care about that. Mm. They'll just leave. It's, It's shocking, but it's happening. Do you think the factor that the candidates have more options that as far as doing all the paperwork, like engine just not showing up and not worried about any repercussions because they know they have other options. I think that's part of it, but we have been actually talking to the candidates about, and we don't really have clear answers right now. We don't have a big enough data sample to be able to share what the result of it is, but it's like, why are you not showing up for a job that you went through all these steps? Like, why are you at that point acting unprofessionally? Because that can really come back and haunt you, especially if you were in a smaller community or a town where everyone knows everyone and it's happening everywhere. It's not just happening in urban environments. So I don't know what's causing that. I think in some way, some of it is very short sighted behavior, which I hate because I do think that this will end up hurting some of the people that are doing this. I know that having a lot of options is part of it, but also it does come down to pay when the cost of living and the cost of gas and all of these things have gone up so much. If you're not making enough money to put the fuel in the tank to get back and forth to work, you're just not going to do that job anymore. You're going to do something else. And I think that's the part that we have not as a society been able to really tabulate is what is the impact of increased living costs? I don't know in Canada, but at least in the U.S., we have seen an increase in housing prices, depending on where you are, between 19 and 23 percent in one year. Exactly the same in Canada. We're seeing very similar inflation numbers of around six to seven percent, which we've never seen. It's a little bit difference between Canada and the U.S. Our minimum wage has been higher uh, than what the U.S. is. It's been interesting to see the last couple of years because the last time minimum wage was increased in the U.S. was in 2009. I might be wrong that number, 2009 or 2011. And no one has complained about it, but now suddenly there's way more options for people for look for jobs. And it's kind of a big fuck you to the world of work, right? They're just like, look, you have shown no loyalty to us. You paid me shit. 
Now I have options. I'll do what I need to do. Not really thinking about the possible consequences to your point. Right now, all the power is on the job seeker side. Are we going to see that shift with a lot more automation? Because companies are going to figure it out, right? They're going to build in more automation. They're going to build in more tools. How long do you think this is going to last? So markets always are volatile to some degree. I mean, they're, yeah. you know, markets are always up, they come back down, they go back up again. So we know, yes, it's going to have an adjustment. Now, when is it going to adjust and by how much and how radical will it be? I think those are the big questions. One of the things I think about with automation, and we certainly talk about this a lot as we're talking about orchestrate, a person that will adopt technology and be more efficient at their work will have two results. One is they will have better work-life balance. And two, they will be more important to the company. Yeah. And I think that is how people will become incredibly differentiated from another worker that does the exact same job because one adopted technology to make them more efficient, the other one didn't. So I don't think automation is going to replace people It's just too hard for automation to do that. But I do think people that do not adopt technology will be replaced with people that do. Mm. You're absolutely right. I think you put it beautifully. Thank you. So I'm wondering if we can continue to ask you to keep your crystal ball out. (laughs) Sure. Because 2021 was a record year for investment into HR technology, right? And it seems like that trend is continuing in 2022. What do you expect to see? Is there a particular part of HR that you think is going to attract more investment? Well, so we are raising around right now. So oh, I didn't know that. I know, I know you didn't. <laughs> so I will just tell you that I have a very interesting experience in the fact that what we have is a lot of Uh, VCs coming to us and wanting to put so much money into our business. So this is my fourth company. And I've always had this view that you can take too much money because it causes you to do things sometimes that are not necessarily the right strategy for the business. It causes you to blow capital. Uh, I've just seen a lot of people do some things that ended up undoing their companies So we have had a unique experience in the fact that we're now evaluating, do we go ahead and take on more capital? And we haven't decided yet. Uh, We're still talking to investors. I will say that Google gave us the platform that we needed to be able to be introduced to the list that we all have as founders of these are the ones that you hope that would be your investors. We have that advantage and we wanted to wait until we were really through this partnership with IBM because I do believe in focus. And as a founder, I needed to really be able to focus on this before I kind of turned my attention to say, okay, now how do we take this bigger? But the HR investment is going to still continue based off of my inbox, people that I don't know them and they just email me. Obviously, there's still a lot of appetite, a lot mm-hmm. of people that have not invested in the market. One thing that I think is really interesting, though, is not just me, but a lot of other founders in the HR tech space are saying they're talking to investors and the investor has already made an investment in one of their pseudo competitors, like maybe it's in a close tangential space. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what's causing the pause in the conversation between them and the investor is that the investor is trying to figure out, is it okay to invest in you too? Because we already have someone like this in our portfolio. In a way, maybe they're hedging their bet, right? Right. Yeah. I do think there's some of that going on and you've got to be, as a founder, you have to kind of be cautious of that because you don't want to be the one that is sacrificed for the one that they have earlier and maybe put more money into. So there are a lot of um, decisions that you have to evaluate along the way, but I think it's going to be a very robust market. I saw something recently where it talked about VCs were backing off of some investment, but what was not being backed off of was HR and was automation. Like those combinations are just incredibly important right now. You're a founder and I don't know if you watch TV, but there's two shows, Super Pump, so the story of Uber, and okay. the other one is We Crash, the story about We Work. So I'm curious if you've watched them, because I'd like to get your take if that's what the conversations with the VCs are really like. You probably haven't watched it by your reaction. I haven't. I, so I'll tell you this. I generally watch sports if I watch okay. TV. Like, so I've been watching a lot of basketball, obviously, lately. But I had the opportunity to meet Travis, who is the founder of Uber, in yeah. 20. 15, I don't know, 2014 or 2015, we were both in Dublin at an event that's over there. And it was the funniest thing. So he's a runner. I don't know if he still is, but he was at the time. And there was all of these VCs that wanted to invest in Uber and he wasn't taking any meetings. So when he would go out on his runs, all of the analysts would be running (laughs) behind him and they would all have their shirts on of like what fun they were with or whatever. And so they were sending the best runner to out of their fun to be able to try to keep up with Travis because he runs a lot or did. And it was hysterical to watch this going around because I was like, what is happening? I do not think that that is a normal experience whatsoever as far as, you know, VC and founder interaction. But I think that that's what happens when they really get excited about investment. They just, you know, They'll just do whatever is needed. And there's certainly the FOMO and the, um, oh, everyone else is going to get part of this company. I got to have part of it. It's a weird world, honestly. The the investor world, the founder world, the whole thing. I, I will tell you what I look for. I look for investors that know how to take what we have as a strategy, which is pretty good because it's executing well. Yeah. But say, here's how to take it. 10x to what you have in your head. Like that's what I want. And that's the part of being coachable, which I am very coachable. I know that I don't know everything, but having those type of investors, I guess those are the ones that you want to catch you on the run. <laughs> so next time you're on the show, you have to watch Super Pump and we need to talk about it because I, well, I need an even more realistic picture. And I know you will love it because the founders that I know in this space, they love this show. We have like a group text message talking about what happened to the show before. Wow, it's okay. So it's we, what? what is it? We crashed. So there's two, okay? So <laughs> the one that I enjoyed is Super Pump, which is a Travis story. Okay. We crashed is the We Work, which is Adam Newman, I think, if yeah. I if I remember his Sorry. name correctly. It's a little bit different because We Crash, he is a very, very unique person. Like They are very different individuals. <laughs> Very different. So Angela, so good to have you on the show again. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for inviting me. I love coming on here. 
It's fantastic. Thank you. So oh my you were in Bloomberg, but now you've hit the stratosphere when you come into recruitment flex. So that's just the next. That's level, right. right. Twice, not just once. I came on here twice. I'm even better. Well, thank you. And if anyone wants to get a hold of you, dig in deeper to what this way global, what's the best way to do that? Contact at thiswayglobal.com. And we love to talk to HR Tech about becoming partners with us on this. Perfect. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.